Hello, welcome to the Court and Turner podcast. Today, my guest is an author, a screenwriter, and he's involved with the Brickfield Institute, where it's revamping children's education. And this is something you all know I'm super passionate about. So they want to bring creativity back into education. You know, this is something I talk a lot about, how uh, they exported the Prussian model, the three-tier Prussian model of education to the United States. Uh, you know, around the turn of the century. And they did this. Uh, the very short Cliff Notes uh, story was that they lost the Battle of Jena in 1807. It was during the Napoleonic Wars. And they determined that they had lost this battle because the soldiers rebelled. And they decided they could not have any more of this. And so they created this model of education that was designed to breed what they, the translation would be mindless, obedient soldiers. This is literally what they said. And they've been very transparent about how this is their goal was to breed compliance and obedience and to eradicate critical thinking. And one of the things that require is required for critical thinking is creativity. Um, and I also recently, this was very interesting, I saw this study that was done. Um, it was, it turned out that it was actually for NASA. They were recruiting uh, for NASA. And so they wanted to determine what would make what would entail a genius. And so they did this study with children under the age of five, and they found that 98% of them qualified for, you know, the, they meet, met the requirements to be a genius. And then they kept following them up in increments years later. And uh, by the time they got to adulthood, they found that 2% of them followed, uh, met these requirements to be genius level. So this is a tragic commentary on what the education system has done to our children and to our entire populace. Uh, so that was a very long rambling intro. He is the author of one of the most awarded uh, fiction books, and uh, he is also working on a play that I'm really excited to hear about. So uh, yeah, so without further ado, I'm going to show you the trailer for the book, and then we will bring him on. Not playing. Okay. No worries. All right, I'll just uh, put this in and edit. Okay. Okay. So, so we'll go out here. All right. Mm -hmm. And now we're coming back to our guest. Okay. So we're not going to play the. In edit. Oh, oh, edit. you'll edit it back in. Okay. Uh, all right. And uh, now we will welcome Chad. Chad Stewart. How are you doing today? Doing great. Thank you. Thank you for having me on your show. Thank you so much for being here. So let's uh, start with uh, talking a little bit about the impetus for the book. And then, of course, tell me about the Britfield Institute. This is fascinating. 
So. Sure. Yeah. So it all it all began. <laughs> Do well. I'm actually originally from Newport Beach, California. I was back east, Wellesley, Massachusetts, for 16 years, where I did my undergraduate work in British literature, European history, which really was the platform and base for the book series. But I didn't know that at the time. Mm-hmm. And then actually actually got into um, corporate America. Worked for three Fortune 500 companies and um, and got a got a, was an investment banker. And it was about 12 mm-hmm. years ago when I was sent to this really boring seminar in Providence, Rhode Island. It might've been insurance. I had to take it, right? I had to go. And um, I started to drift, started to doodle, and I had this idea for Britfield and the Lost Crown. And and it just struck me. It was like this aha moment. It was just amazing. I just was dying to do something creative. I think we're all dying to do something creative. I think we're all born creative. And then that creativity gets educated out of us or pushed out of us. Yeah. And um, and so I was just desperate to do something. So I went home that weekend, literally on one piece of paper. I just started to outline the story that kind of came to my mind about this orphan, Tom, 12 years old, takes place in present time up in England, Yorkshire, northern England, at this horrible orphanage called Weatherly Orphanage. Tom's been an orphan his whole life. He's been at Weatherly for six years, and this is a year he's going to escape, but he's not going anywhere without his best friend, Sarah. And somewhere along the lines, they commandeer a hot air balloon but are relentlessly chased by the illustrious detective Gowerstone. It's just kind of a fun story. You know, and I, I thought we start up in Yorkshire. It's kind of like the Moors, you know, that sort of mystic, you know, Yorkshire. And then it goes to Oxford, mm-hmm. it goes to Windsor, London, and then finally Canterbury. And so you're really including, you know, five major quadrants, uh, the industrial mm-hmm. Yorkshire, academia, Oxford, royalty, Windsor, um, investment, banking, you know, the city, London, and then finally religion, Canterbury Cathedral. And so I sat down, took me four years, 2,500 hours to write Britfield Lost Crown, 384 pages. And then from concept to launching, it took over 10 years, 10 years of building my team, the business plan, um, lots of discouragement, lots of, lots of, lots of delays, if you will, rejection. I mean, everything. And, um, and I've, and I've said this so many times that really every overnight success does take between one to 10 years. Yeah. Yeah. Period. Period. And um, and the difference between a hobby and a profession is about 10,000 hours. And that's very accurate. And so we launched officially uh, August 2019. And um, and since then, it's become a national bestseller. It's actually in the top 1% of all books published. And I think it's on its way to becoming the most successful children's book series in history. Wow. And, uh, and I've stated it here on the series. It's one of the most awarded books in children's fiction. And it's fun because we, we kicked off um, back in 2019 a, a, a nationwide school tour. And so I drove 9,000 miles. I visited 23 states, over 200 schools, and presented in front of more than 40,000 students. And actually, if you go to the, um, if you go to the tour, click the tour, if, yeah. uh, if you can hear us. If you, if you click, yeah, click the tour. This is kind of fun since we're... <laughs> it's really great. Click, yeah, click the tour and then you go down a little bit and you can see some of the pictures. It's kind of fun. So here, this is it. Look at that. So yeah. I mean, everything from small little classrooms to uh, the one on the far left is uh, that's that's up that's Oaks Christian up in um, in L.A., like one of the top schools that most of the uh, actors, kids go there. Over 430 students right there. It was huge. It was incredible. Wow. And um, so it was amazing. So it was, it was really fun. So we can this will lead into sort of education and impact. But I was I was coming in as a best-selling author with the Britfield series, and we started this, if you will, as a grassroots, you know, uh, movement. Because like, you know, who am I, right? And you know, <laughs> C.R. Stewart, you know, what's Britfield? Um, but I was doing it for a lot of other reasons. I wanted to really sort of um, uh, cut up America, if you will, really get out there, you know, boots on the ground, and just just come into these different towns, these different cities, get a feel for 
for America to get a feel for the different schools, the educational systems. I mean, we went to private, public, Catholic, Christian, charter, homeschool, you name it, we went there. Uh, big auditoriums, four through eight, 400 students, sometimes small libraries of 80 students. We sold, you know, tens of thousands of books. I'd be there sometimes for two hours doing book signings, but I'd be talking to all the students and I just had so much fun having a little bit of interaction really quick. I mean, thousands of students. What are you reading? How often do you read? What do you like? What are you mm -hmm. studying? What are you majoring? And, you know, so I was, I was really, in a sense, getting a real good feel of the beat and pulse of America. Yeah. And, uh, and would, yeah, I would spend time with the librarians and and, and talk shop and, and some of the teachers and stuff. And so it was incredible. In fact, we were in Memphis, Tennessee, um, uh, March 2020, when this whole thing had happened. And I had to turn around mm -hmm. and drive all the way back. And so it's funny because you're in Tennessee now. And I loved it. It was really cool. We just did four schools back to back. I was headed up to Nashville and uh, I had to turn around and come all the way back. So, mm. but um, wow. yeah, so since then it's, it's going to be a seven book series uh, followed by seven major motion pictures uh, along with television programs. We can talk about that. We're working on products right now. Um, so book one, Britfield Lost Crown, we launched that 2019. Book two, mm. Britfield and the Return, I'm sorry, Britfield and the Rise of the Lion Book two, we launched in 2021, and that takes place in France. And now okay. Tom and Sarah are 13 years old. And uh, yeah, that's really cool. It's a great picture. And yeah. um, and that's 474 pages. And then book three, we launched last September. That's Italy. And that's uh, 575 pages. Now Tom and Sarah are 14. And so the book series will travel around the world. I'm working on book four now, Eastern Europe and Russia. Book five will be Asia. Book six will be South America. Then we bring back the series, the United States, book seven. Tom and Sarah will be 18 years old. And I think what's great about the, the series, among many things, I mean, and ask many questions, is number one, it's based in real time, right? Mm -hmm. It's not it's not fantasy. It doesn't have witchcraft. It doesn't have demigods, superheroes, mysticism, magic, <laughs> none of it. It's as authentic oh of a series as it can possibly be. All the places are real locations. So we, we include geography, history, art, architecture, culture. We hit the four C's in every book, creativity, critical thinking communication and collaboration. And it's really about family, friendship, loyalty, and courage. And if, you, if you'd say, what's the number one theme of the entire book? And this is a fast-paced, high-octane, born meets bond meets Narnia series. Okay. But it's really about family and the importance of family and friendship and courage. And so that's kind of what the series is. Our youngest reader is seven, oldest reader is 93. 55% of our reading audience are adults. And uh, 23, 20 to 30% of our sales are now coming from, from uh outside the US. And so next year we go global. And uh, we're just we're just locking in a distributor for Britain and Europe. Um, like that's happening like like this week, you know, which is pretty yeah. cool. Yeah. We've been at all the major, yeah, we've been at all the major um, book fairs. We got 15 different countries right now that are interested in buying the trilogy, the, the rights to the trilogy. We can talk about that. Poland was our first and we've had record sales in Poland right now, which is great. Poland is our beachhead for Eastern Europe. South Korea, there's another major publisher that's going to be purchasing the, the, the trilogy rights. Um, South Korea will be our beachhead for Asia. Uh, it looks like we're picking up Brazil, Spain, and, and Portugal by the end of the year and stuff. So, so it's very exciting. So, yeah. um, so, yeah. so that's kind of a quick overview. <laughs> yeah, no, thank you. Um, and then I want to hear also about the Britfield Institute, but we can discuss the, the books sure. first. If, yeah. Um, Wow, there's there's so much in that. That that's amazing. I I felt like I got very emotional just hearing all of that. Um, yeah. So the focus you said it, there's no kind of mysticism. That's also that's kind of 
I don't know. That's very novel. I feel like all it, it is. It, yeah. Like, and today, yeah. And I, and I'll be honest and I, and I struggle for it, I, you know, but I think it's a very unique series. I don't know any other series like this that I'm aware of, you know, and I've always anchored it in sort of Charles Dickens. Yeah. And I was very influenced by Dickens, you know, because Dickens is writing these, if you will, historical fiction takes place in present time based in real sure. locations, re real things. But I mean, even, even with Dickens, it's, we're not Dickens, you know what I mean? It's just, it's a whole different ballpark. You know what I mean? It's it's such an elevated type of literacy. It's got great vocabulary, lots of subplots, twists and turns. It's got this royal mystery. We include a lot of things that even you talk about on your show that's going on behind the scenes right now that just fits the narrative of this Britfield, this, this, this you know, Britfield's this kind of royal dynasty that should have inherited the crown of England, but were usurpered. Uh, by the Windsors and all the way down and stuff. And so a lot of this stuff threads in throughout it. But um, but no, I, I think we're, I mean, it's really set the bar for, in my opinion, the new level of, of literature. And and um, because all this other stuff, this fantasy, it's like, it's kind of silly and it's become silly. It's become so saturated. The market's saturated with 90% of this stuff of, mm -hmm. of vampires and witchcraft and, you know, and, and, and occultism and, and black magic and all this. And it's just, it's, it's nasty stuff, frankly, yes. you know, and that's stuff you really want your eight or nine or 10 year old to be reading. And you start reading the Britfield book series and it's like, they're learning about geography, history, art, architecture, culture. They're learning about creativity, critical thinking. I mean, it's like Tom and Sarah as the main characters as they're going through this whole, uh, the different novels, different stories are constantly, you know, up against certain problems that they got to figure out or try places to get. So they're talking, they're discussing, they're collaborating and they're using the critical thinking, they're using communication, they're using um, creativity. And, and so, you know, sometimes they, they solve the problems, they have the right answer. Sometimes they don't, they learn from it. And it's just, it's the most real authentic type of style of stories. I don't suspend fiction. I mean, every now and then I have a little bit of fun and you can do that if you will. You know what I mean? Right. Where you, you, yeah, you levitate, you know, you can, you can, you can, you can suspend fiction a little bit, but I mean, I really try to keep it grounded in the most authentic, you know, facts, details and, and locations. And it's like, if they're in a situation, how would you get out of this? And it's like, you don't wave a wand, you don't say a spell, you don't put on a cloak, you know, you don't fly because you're a superhero. I mean, just all that stuff, no offense. And I and it's and I grew up with it and I know it's fun, but it's it's gotten to a saturated silliness. And I think people mm -hmm. are gonna be reading Britfield Lost Crown and then coming back to books like Harry Potter and just saying it's kind of silly, you know, because yeah. it really is kind of silly. It's such a disconnect from reality. And these books are out on the market to disconnect kids from reality. Number one, to make them feel that they're not good enough as they are, and that's a lie. All children are amazing, all children are born creative. As mm -hmm. you were saying as your intro. Um, it was actually the test that was done was by George Land and he created right. it for NASA. Yeah, he traded for NASA. And so here he is. He, ta he takes the test into the educational system. He's, he's um, testing five-year-olds, thousands of five-year-olds, and it's 98%. I mean, geniuses, like you yeah, said, little sure. geniuses. 98 out of 100 kids, born geniuses. Uh, he tested them again at 10 years old. It dropped mm -hmm. down to 30%. And then he tested them again at 15. It was 12%. And right. the conclusion was is that schools were, as you also said, educating creativity out of kids. And creativity is the foundation of everything. You know, mm -hmm. I mean, all these other subjects, they're interesting. They're important. They all have, you know, they all have a sense of importance. Science, uh, history, mm -hmm. um, literature, you know, mm -hmm. um, uh, mathematics. 
but to saturate it with certain subjects like that um, and, and, and kick creativity out of it, kick music out of it, kick the arts out of schools. Well, for, is, forgive uh, me for interjecting, but what I would yeah. what I would say is those subjects should be a foundation. And this is when we talk about Griffiths, what I really want to uh, ask yeah. you about in regard to that is because you talk about mastering the skill of creativity. And I would say that the subjects of which you mentioned should lay the groundwork and the foundation so that you can then apply creativity to them because Absolutely. really just you know what wrote facts what good do they do you if you can't connect dots you can't problem solve you can't uh, innovate you know then then what good are the the facts and the you know the 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 foundational you know teachings yeah yeah, I mean, creativity is at the foundation of all of it, and this it yeah. is absolutely essential. And uh, it's yeah. funny with the I saw the Einstein quote. I mean, there's a book that came out um, a couple of years ago by by Dr. Uh, Kim. She's out of William mm -hmm. and Mary, called the Creativity Crisis, and she literally spent 20, 30 years researching hundreds of thousands of students across the nation. She came to the conclusion mm -hmm. that in ten specific areas, every year for decades, um, kid, children have been going down at a 45 degree angle by one to two points every single year in, in, in key areas. And I'll read these off real quick because I think yeah. it's worth it. But since the 1990s, schools have killed curiosities and passions, narrowed visions, lowered expectations, stifled risk-taking, destroyed collaboration, narrowed minds, killed deep thoughts and imagination, forced conformity, solidified hierarchy. And as a result, children are now less emotionally expressive, less energetic, less humorous, less imaginative, less talkative, less verbal expressive. Oh, there she is. She's she's amazing. Less uncontroversial mm. and less perspective. Does that sound pretty much where kids are today? And yes. so really what, what we're trying to do, not just with the Ritfield series, but our, our entire movement is to bring creativity back into the classrooms. And so we're doing that with the book series, mm -hmm. which is incredible. I mean, it's like everyone's complaining and talking and stuff. And it's just like all of us have the ability to do something. You've got your program. You're bringing the truth to people. And, and that's that's your contribution, along with, I'm sure, many other things. We all have that ability. And 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 uh, so ours is like bringing really great novels, great reading, great stories, great fiction back into the libraries, back into children's hands. Um, the impact has been catastrophic. And I can read you some quotes, you know, if we have time from people. I get I get emails from all over the world all the time, thousands of letters of the impact that we're having, not just from parents and librarians, but from 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 children that are really engaged in these books and are mm -hmm. learning from these books and they love it. And um, so we're kind of excited about that. So the Institute is another area of that, that kind of branched off of, of the launch of, you know, the series and the Institute mm -hmm. is really focused on bringing creativity back in the classroom. And we've done like writing workshops with schools. We do it like one hour, three hour, five hour writing workshop. Uh, mm -hmm. We do create creativity. I've got a, I've got a 120 slide pitch deck just on creativity. Wow. Uh, we do entrepreneur classes. So, you know, found your own company. And we're doing this with 12, 11, 11, 12, 13 year olds. Why not? Yeah. You know, start yeah. your company. You I know, started my uh, first business when I was like six years old. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, really, that's that's when you want to really when you when you want to impact these kids. And we've already influenced and impact probably hundreds of thousands of students. I had a car wash business when I was seven. I had a babysitter club business when I was 11. Yeah. Okay. I, I was selling 90210 paraphernalia when I was 12. So, Totally. <laughs> and then you learn a lot from it. You know, the yeah. independence, the, the dedication, the rejection, the frustration. Mm -hmm. You know, you're, you're, you're constantly, um, you have all these problems. You either have to solve them or you won't exist as a business. Yep. And so it could be something. And I, you know, I was the same way. Like I'm, I'm, me and my buddies, like I think when we were 15, we had a lot, 
uh, car detailing business. You know, it didn't last that long, but we did some cars. We made some yeah. money, and I learned you learn a lot from it. Totally. You know, and and now I've built a, a media empire. You know what I mean? And and all of that derived from, you know, forty years ago from from the basic skills. You know, I worked for three self-made millionaires by the time I was eighteen. Um, Even just doing grunt work, you know what I mean? I was like, you know, like cleaning the office or vacuuming or working their party and pouring wine and you know, hors d'oeuvres, you know what I mean? But I was yeah. listening and I was learning and, and I had the responsibility of being there and I was called to be there because I showed up early and, and I would stay late and I cleaned up and everything. I, I never forgot about any of those events, those times, all that impact made such a huge impact on me. And sure. um, yeah, and especially that age, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, so important to give kids as much experience, opportunities, to creativity, to anything, taking them to the library, taking them to the, the museum, taking them to the park, taking them to the city, walking around, looking at architecture, you know, I mean, doing something once a week or, or maybe twice a month, you know, always having creativity day, like maybe Saturdays from, from 12 to three, you do something fun with the kids. It's creative. You're painting, you're writing a story, you're talking about something, whatever it is, you know, right. and just giving them as much of that information. None of that really costs anything. So mm -hmm. it's not like, well, we can't afford it. You can't afford not to spend time with your kids. Right. Absolutely. So I, I the first question that comes to mind is that what what does creativity mean to you? It's it, everything, really, because it's the it's the foundation of, of, of everything. I mean, it's the foundation yeah. of America. You know what I mean? I mean, think about, you know, the, the Constitution, the mm -hmm. 1776, all of that. Think about the creativity that was involved in that, the creativity of bringing everybody together. I've done, you know, I'm more of a historian too. So I've done a ton of research. I've read all the biographies on all of them, but really what you're doing is you're reading about very creative people, all of them. Yeah. It doesn't matter if they're very um, analytical. There's, there's so much creativity in it. The foundation of the country, the, the, the system of government that we set up in this. I mean, you know, I'm kind of, I'm talking broad now, but I'm saying, mm -hmm. I mean, everything from the homeschool movement, which I'm ex mm -hmm. hugely excited about. Someone had an idea that says, you know what, we're sick and tired of sending our kids to these institutions, like you said, these public institutions that are educating education out of kids, yep. creativity out of kids. They're not critical thinkers. No. Um, and 90% of the stuff they're going to learn is just useless nonsense. Yeah. You know, yeah. all it's trying to do is qualify them to take a test, a test that was the SAT test was actually founded um, by a gentleman uh, decades ago. And he, and he founded it for the military. Mm -hmm. And after five years, he realized that it didn't work and it was a complete failure and he shoved, he shelved it. And then so all of a sudden the educational system picks up this nonsensical <laughs> test yep. that frankly, it doesn't test anything. No. You know what I mean? It, nothing, nothing practical, nothing that your, your kids are going to use. So it's like, it's like the, the, the corrupt educational system created a test to mirror itself to test, to make sure people are, 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 are succeeding in, in a system that's failed. If you will, it's like this, it's like a, this like merry-go-round, right? It's the circus has come to town. I mean, it's, it's clown show. It's ridiculous. Um, uh, the uh, the um, uh, IQ test, um, Benet, the gentleman that actually uh, created it, mm -hmm. uh, created it for the absolute opposite. You know, he created it to find deficiencies in people. Create genius or or or, um, or um, the aspects that it was designed for. It, the test wasn't designed to 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 see if you're a genius. Mm -hmm. And the thing is, is you're learning and 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 being diversified all the time. So, like hypothetically, if you scored like 120 or something, mm -hmm. you know, next year you could score 140. You know, but what they mm -hmm. want to do is they want to narrow you. Yeah, there you go. They want to narrow mm -hmm. you and put you in this thing. It's like because because um, you know, the, the test doesn't work, and so um, or this idea that you only use 10% of your brain. That, mm -hmm. That's that's false. That's another that's a that's a myth. You use mm -hmm. all of your brain. 
you know, and kids learn in different capacities and different ways, but to put them all 12 year olds, you know, 30 to 40 jammed in, in an institution in a room for 40 hours a week, are you out of your mind? What do you think is going to happen? And so, you know, and then they make up, you know, all these different uh, problems that kids have because they're antsy, you know, mm -hmm. and then they jack them up on, on, on all types of medications. I mean, it's just, it's the whole system is horrific. And I know you covered some of that um, recently, I think, uh, with vaccines and other stuff. That pretty things. often, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's all it's all a big myth, you know. It's all a big myth. Yeah, no, I, I, and and just the fact that they put all, you know, based on age. I mean, to me, when you look at how school, the idea of what we think of today as being school, uh, first started, it was like a headmaster who had kids of all ages, you know, in one room. And I think people learn so much more that way because then you're learning, you're either trying to catch up or, you know, you're going at your pace because just because you're a certain age doesn't mean you, you're you at the same pace as people your age. You know, that's, you know, aptitude yeah. is, is very, it's not based on age. <laughs> so it's, and I actually think children look, learn and studies have shown this as well. They learn more uh, being immersed in uh, adults world. This is why the homeschool movement of a, uh, you know, they call it like unschooling where it's, you know, non-traditional, it's not doing school at home. Uh, but that style actually tends to lend itself. Of course, you know, all children are different. There's always unique circumstances, but sure, sure. for the most part, what they've shown is that, you know, on the whole, they learn much more that way, spending more time with adults because, you know, they're not being, it's not being catered to them. They have to try and figure things out in order to catch up and understand the world around them. So. No, you're absolutely right. And and I mean, we're in a homeschool revolution right now, which I'm very excited about. For the last three years, we've gone from 5 million to over 20 million homeschoolers. So what you're looking at is, frankly, the traditional, the educational traditional system is, is in, the, in the last days. It's the beginning of the end. I'd also say that we're in an educational reformation. All this has yeah. been happening for That's a while. Came to my mind too. Yeah. 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 Right. Just like Martin Luther 500 years ago. And it's just a fact. You know what I mean? The system is, 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 it's on its last legs and it might, it might, you know, might fiddle along for another three or five, seven years. It doesn't matter. It's, it's yeah. over. You have, yeah. you have millions and millions of parents that are not sending their kids back to traditional school. And, and they, if you will, have woken up. And I knew that it was funny coming back to Tennessee and Memphis, but when I was driving back here, it is March, right? 2020. Yeah. And I was kind of really devastated because I, I, I wanted to get to the I was, I was waiting to get to the heartland of America, right? I went all the way up to Seattle and I went all the way to Chicago, all the way down to New Orleans. And, you know, it was huge. And I couldn't wait to sort of get to Tennessee and then Kentucky mm -hmm. and then Indiana, you know, Ohio. And yeah. I had to turn around and drive all the way back. And it was, yeah. so I was saying to myself, based on my research, because we've been researching this stuff for over a decade. Mm -hmm. um, but it was fun to get to boots on the ground and come to the schools because I was getting real intel, if you will. I was talking to yeah. thousands of kids. Um, and that's why when people are saying it's like, oh, the ebook market is like 30 percent. I'm like, no, it's flatlined at eight. It's not going anywhere. Kids love books. They love touching the books. They love the hard covers. They love the soft covers. So all these systems and things they're trying to do have failed, which is great. But I'm driving back and saying it'll be interesting when this sham is over. Uh, how many parents will be sending their kids back to, to traditional schools? And I was basing it on three things. Number one, uh, I think parents would be horrified. By what their kids are being taught or learning in the classroom as young as five years old just horrified that this kind of content or stuff is coming into the classrooms mm -hmm. number two how far behind this their students their their um their students their kids are in certain subjects and number three if a child sits down uninterrupted with their homework for the day 
they finish it in two to three hours and have the rest of the day to do what? Grow up, play, do something creative, building blocks, art, music, friends. I mean, you name it. You know what I mean? Instead of sitting there waiting for the three o'clock bell. And mm -hmm. so that's when I started seeing numbers come out about 12 months after that uh, 20 to 30 percent of parents aren't sending them their kids back to the traditional school. That's huge. That's a that's that's a that, that is a revolution. That is incredible. And we are also in a cre creativity um, revolution. They actually say that we're we're in the next um, renaissance right now, and that's exciting. Mm -hmm. They've they've spent decades suppressing creativity, and yeah. now it's like it's coming back like with a vengeance. It's like the dams are breaking, and now we're finding. I'll be honest, and this is all from research. Creativity is the number one most important skill set in the world right now. Number one based on all kinds of research. It's not engineering. Who cares about engineering? That stuff's offshored or will be placed by um, AI. Accounting, ooh, guess what? 80% of accounting jobs will be obsolete in, uh, in the next five to 10 years because of technology and AI. So let's, let's definitely go that, that route. Lawyers, law, 40, 50% of it, obsolete in five to 10 years. Creativity, AI cannot replace creativity. Creativity is at the foundation of everything. It's the most important skill set. And creatives are actually hired today in companies five to one and 10 to one over any other candidates and even people with musical background, because they know that creatives can think on their feet, great brainstormers, better managers, um, better under crisis and can adjust in this ch constant changing world. You know, you bring in, you hire this person that's so perfectly fit in this little thing. And guess what? In three months when, when their job changes, they're sitting there going, I can't think, what do I do now? Right. Cause they don't have the ability to think, you know, they don't, they've been, they've been, they've been, Creativity has been taught out of them. So, absolutely. I'm so curious. So, you uh, went up, uh, throughout the country and you talked to all of these kids. And what what's what book have you completed so far? Because you went through uh, the all. Oh, it was just it was just book one. Yeah, it was just for book just one. Just the one. Okay. So yeah. yeah. So I'm so curious. What was the feedback from the children? And like, you know, what what did they have to say? What? Yeah. And yeah, what are you seeing about just their, you know, the state of where things are with children current, right now? Yeah, and I'll be honest, um, from, from my impression, and it's interesting, too, because we went some of the, the most prestigious private schools to yeah. some of the hardest Title I schools in Dallas, yeah. to you name it. And I'll be mm -hmm. honest, kid, kids are amazing. Kids are amazing at that age. Mm -hmm. And um, and I didn't, I didn't really find any difference. From the questions I got from kids, whether it was a hard Title I school or one of the top privates, um, yeah. I'll be honest, the best educated children I've ever met in my life are homeschooled, period. Yeah. Hands down, the best educated. They're usually two to three grades ahead of it. They're grounded. They have great questions. They're well composed. Um, they're sharp. They're respectful. Um, and, and they're just amazing. They're wonderful. So um, I'm just a huge supporter of the homeschool movement. People have to remember, too. With homeschooling, it doesn't mean that you that one of the parents have to stay home. There's so many different models and hybrid models. And like you said, you nailed it. And, and I, this is my first impression. So here I am uh, on my tour and I was I was in um, uh, went up to uh, Lake Lake Tahoe and then I was off to Carson, uh, Nevada. And mm -hmm. I was going to a homeschool group with a friend who, who set everything up. And it's like I've never really been to a homeschool group. And it was on a farm. And it was very weird because you know, I'm like I'm used to these big auditoriums, 300 students. And the first impression I got is we're driving up to this farm, a really nice little farm, as I saw um, eight or nine boys playing basketball because it was during their break. And mm -hmm. it was like ages from 11 to, let's say, 16 or 17. And I'm like, when's the last time in your life have you ever seen boys 
of different ages playing basketball together at recess, right? right? It's all the 12 year olds. It's all the 13 year olds, all the 14 year olds. And that was why that had such an impression on me because what it does is, as you said, younger children have someone to esteem. They have a, they have a, they have a leader there, 14, 15, that they're learning Mm -hmm. from because they're older, wiser. And the Mm -hmm. older ones, the 16, 17 year olds have a responsibility of leadership for the younger ones. And it's just the dynamics. And you don't have to, you don't have to say any of that. The dynamics are just there. And so I'm parking my car and I'm, and I'm getting out of my car and this little 12 year old girl, hair kind of back in a bun and, uh, you know, dressed really nicely. And she comes up to me and says, are you Mr. Stewart? And I said, yes. And she put out her hand and says, oh, I'm, you know, I'm Melissa. Thank you so much for coming to our group. We're so excited to have you. And I was like, I, just, I was like blown away. I'm like, oh my gosh, like, who are you? You're like amazing. You know? And, and uh, I was like thinking to myself, like, that's a future CEO of a company, right? Mm-hmm. I'm like, that's a, that, then that's the next Senator of this, of this state, you know, just, so well composed, you know, gumption and and confidence, and that's homeschooling. You know what I mean? And I'll be honest. I mean, I've seen that pretty much across the board. And so, um, but the uh, the experiences were amazing. The kids were amazing, and I just I really never had a problem uh, with any of the schools or situations that I went to. Regardless, uh, they were just great. The questions that were coming from them, like I, you know, I do this really fun dynamic presentation. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't just me talking about books and writing you know i I had a powerpoint we'd watch trailers we had like this really cool star wars trailer and everyone's like yeah you know it's like so it's fun it's dynamic we're looking at like toy story and we're looking at different like images and stuff and because i'm really there to talk about the importance of creativity and the importance about storytelling and i literally started out by you know i I come in as you know with the britfield series and i and i i really started out by saying you know like actually it's a quote by victor hugo and it says that um no standing army can defeat an idea whose time has come and I love that. And it's so true. And for us, our idea right now is Britfield and our time has come. And um, and I say we all have ideas. And sometimes, you know, there might be simple ideas. Sometimes they may be big ideas, something you want to do when you grow older, a company you want to work for, a company that you want to own. And I say you might have the right idea, just not the right timing. And it may take you three to five to 10 to 20 years to realize that idea. But you do as much as you can to get as far as you can. And you believe in your ideas. And then I, I literally talk about, you know, Pixar and Toy Story that it took them 10 years from concept to launching their first movie and they were laughed out of Hollywood. George Lucas laughed out of Hollywood. Not a single person was interested in Star Wars. Everyone thought it was the silliest idea. And this is the norm. This is absolutely this norm. These these aren't one-offs. You name the company and I pretty much will tell you the back, the the reality of it. You know what I mean? The 20 years it took them to get there. Yeah, there it is. I love that quote. Yeah. Oh, isn't that great? Yeah. So powerful. So powerful. Um, so, yeah, so it was really it was just great. It was dynamic. And um, and so that that's what these presentations were kind of about. And, and then and then I would about, go about 30 minutes. Then we do Q&A. And I mean, all of a sudden it's just like hands all over. And, and I you know, like from fourth graders, I'm asked, like, what are the best questions? The best questions I ever got were from fourth graders. I just get these zingers, you know, like like does the protagonist have to be a human. And I'm like, whoa. Like, you know, like, that's a cool question. Like, you know, like, just just great stuff. And I was just there to encourage them. Like, hey, that's a great question. Or thank you so much. And I'd be walking around mm-hmm. the audience. And I'm like, hey, I never thought about that. Or you know what? I really mm-hmm. like that question. I'm just there encouraging them, encouraging them yeah. to ask questions. And this is what I actually say. I say that pretty much most of the time when I started off, because it's always kind of slow at first, you know, that, that first hand. And I say, I'm, I say my, my impression are, are ignorant people don't ask questions. And I'm being honest. I say, I say the people that are ignorant are the ones that don't ask questions. I say, I ask questions all the time and I'm 50. You know what I mean? 
and uh, you want to learn something, you ask questions. And so I'm just there to inspire them. And we planted just thousands and thousands of seeds in these kids across the nation. That's just the beginning of where we're going and what we're doing. We also kicked off the virtual author visit. So we started doing um, global um, author visits. And I think Ooh. we did our first we did our first um, uh, global school in Australia last year was 16 an hour, 16 and a half hours ahead of us. So now I'm coming in just like we're doing now with the presentation too, but we're just doing it virtual because it's just, you know, you have to do what you got to do, right? Right. So, but it's, uh, it was incredible. Wow. I'm so curious. So did, had any of these students read the book yet? No, 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 okay. no. During the launch. Yeah. During the launch. Well, you know what, actually, um, no, that's not true because what would happen is, is we'd be setting schools up because I'm driving mm -hmm. on this tour and I'm usually we come into a state for one week. So like, let's say I'm in Oregon for a week and then I'm in Washington for a week. And, um, right. and so we get pre-sales and we'd be sending books out. And so some right. of the students were actually reading it. And so that was great. So we were, we were getting feedback and, um, most of the feedback I've heard is, is which was great. Um, 90% of the children that read it said it reads like a movie. This could be our mm -hmm. parallel into the film. Um, most said that, 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 it, um, that they never read anything like it to me, which was one of the best compliments I could get. Um, and many of them said that uh, it was their favorite favorite book series they've ever read, which is, to me was just stunning because it's mm -hmm. like, you know, it's con continuing, considering the arena that we're in from, from you know, C.S. Lewis to Lord of the Rings to you name it that's out right. there. Um, but I think, it, I think one of the reasons is kids are just connecting with it because it's real characters. They can connect with Tom. They connect with Sarah. They can connect with real locations of kids figuring things out and it's not suspended and they don't go, they don't walk through a, uh, you know, a, a mystical, um, you know, cupboard, you know, to get into a new world or they don't put on their cape or they don't say a word to change. This. You know I mean? It's just, it's, I, they just connected and I've heard so much feedback, you know, from, from parents and students literally across, across the nation. But, um, like, this is kind of cool. This is, um, I got, I got this a couple of weeks ago. Uh, okay. one, of the one of the assignments was from, um, from uh, uh, English classes that uh, they, they, they would uh, write a letter to their favorite author. And so this is, this is one girl, uh, Virginia, that, that, that sent it to me. But there was another school. I got four letters. And I thought, that's pretty good. Like four, yeah. four out of like 30 students. But I love this one. I was going to share this real quick. Just a little snapshot. snapshot. But he says, yeah. um, his name is uh, Nathan. He says, the entire Britfield series uh, is extraordinary and enjoyable to me. But I definitely like Britfield and Return of the Prince the most out of all the three books. I liked it the most because the storytelling and plot was amazing. And the way you described it was great. Sometimes because the book was so good, one could forget they were even reading a book. Wow. So they're just immersed. Yeah. I'm like, yeah, I'm like, just wow. Um, that, that's what you that. want. You want someone to be like transported, right? Yeah. But there's, here's some, uh, some fun kind of, uh, this is like just some a snapshot of some quotes. I won't read them all, oh. but these, this is literally all over from all over the world, but I just got to give you some, some mm -hmm. snapshot says my eight year old daughter is reading Britfield and cannot put it down. It's truly one of the best books I've ever read. It reminds me of why reading is so great. Thank you for publishing such wonderful books. Mm. Um, here's another one. My name is Gideon and I live uh, with my family in Eastern Germany. Uh, there is a great need for wholesome stories in the world, and I'm a big fan of the Britfield books. It has suspense, action, mystery, and history. Um, here's another one. Thank you for your excellent books. I'm 72 years old, and I find them delightful. That's Mary from Canada. <laughs> um, uh, it says, my, uh, our whole family loves the Britfield books. They've 
been truly encouraging to my son who recently passed away from a five-year battle of brain cancer. They actually sent me, it was the most tender thing, they sent me this little um, video that they did. And the child was reading Britfield and finding encouragement from it. And I thought, wow, that's huge. Um, uh, let's see. And I'll read, I'll just finish up with this one. Yeah. Uh, this is really cool. Uh, Mr. Stewart. Uh, oh, here it is. Uh, we have an eighth grade student. This, this actually came from a, a librarian from Louisiana. She said, we have an eighth grade student who is a very reluctant reader. Countless teachers and librarians have tried to get a book in his hands for years. Yesterday, his mother saw me and shouted, you're the teacher that finally got my son to read. All because of the Britfield book. She told me that it was the first book he had read his entire life and enjoyed, enjoyed it from cover to cover and is now reading book two. Thanks again for what you do. These are the types of letters that we are we are getting um, nationwide. And like I said, our youngest reader is seven, oldest reader is 93. Um, it was really fun. I have I, I have uh, one fan uh, woman like she's in her 50s, uh, lives in the Netherlands. And we're like we're shipping her out books to the cost of like, you know, like forty dollars to ship it. Right. Because it's so expensive. Sure. And she's like she goes, she's like, I can't wait to get book three. She goes, I love the Ritfield series. She goes, I've never read anything like it. She's like, I can't wait till you guys are in our, in our country and stuff. We ship books out to like South South Africa, mm -hmm. Brazil, Spain, um, uh, Poland, uh, New Zealand. We're in, a, we're in a bookstore right now in New Zealand selling out. Um, so it's just, it's exciting. So we're getting this feedback all the time from, from kids, from students, from librarians, from parents uh, that are just loving this series. And it's like, all I did for myself is I just wrote the best possible book series I possibly could. I, <laughs> I spent four years and 2,500 hours on book one. I spent, wow. um, I spent five years and 3,000 hours on book two. Um, so I do my research. I, I spent a ton of time on editing it and just making it as, as fun and fast paced and exciting as I can. And it's like a great quote by Beverly Clearly. She said uh, she was the author of uh, The Mouse the and the Motorcycle. And right, the Ramona right. series. Yeah. Yeah. And she Ramona said, yeah, I, lo I loved, I loved her books. And I so, still like, remember I, a scene from Ramona Quimby. Like there was a scene with it where she's like so jealous of her cousin who comes over and just takes one tissue at a time and just like empties out the whole box all over the floor. Her cousin's three <laughs> and like just unabashedly, you know, can do this because she's three and it, she's so jealous of her. The, I, the other scene I remember so vividly is like, she was just so curious about like, if you just squeeze a toothpaste and it, she squeezes the whole thing, like in a circle in the sink. <laughs> yeah. Write the really impression, great. write the impression these books have on you. Like Runaway Ralph was one of my favorite books growing up, or I think it was The Mouse and the Motorcycle. And I yeah, still remember I was, awesome. I was yeah, I think I was eight years old and I was on a trip going through Colorado with my parents and I was reading that and I still remember reading that and I still just remember the impact it had on me. But she said, if you ever walk into a library or bookstore and you don't find the story you're looking for, write it. And so that's really what we did with Britfield. You know, I was a huge fan of, of you know, those that series. I love um, James and the Giant Peach. I love yeah. uh, Charlie, Charlie and Chocolate Factory. I mean, just incredible. Mm -hmm. um, and then Star Wars. You know, Star mm -hmm. Wars, I was a huge Star Wars fan when, yeah, when, it was when the fun. first movie came out in 1977. Saw it 13 times. Um, and I've never forgotten it. I mean, it's it's honestly, it elevated cinema to a new level. And um, it's funny, too, because our producers right now, one of the producers of the Britfield movie, um, was he's been in the industry for 40 years. He was at that um, original screening for industry. 
And so, yeah. you know, and here's George Lucas, 1977. Everyone in Hollywood is just laughing and joking and thinking like, mm -hmm. you know, this is going to be the silliest movie. You know, <laughs> like George Lucas is finished after this. Like he'll never work in Hollywood again. That was the gossip there. And they're walking into the, you know, all smug and, 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 and arrogant. And he said, he said it was so funny watching them leave because the expression on their, on their face was just like, like just blown away, like, yeah. like just incredible, you know? And it's, there's a lot of similarities with Ripfield Lost Crown and, and the original Star Wars, because I was so inspired by it. And, and I've often said to kids, I said, what, what is, what does Star Wars and Ripfield Lost Crown have to have in common? I say absolutely nothing and absolutely everything, <laughs> you know, an original story, fast paced action, humor, great characters, takes you to a place you've never been before, um, the hero's journey, the three-act structure, I mean, all of it, all of that inspiration from Star Wars. And I was re reading the, um, we actually have the, here's the third, this was finished last week. This is the third Ooh. draft of the movie script right here. Whoa, cool okay. So, exciting. Um, very exciting, yeah. And, I, and I'll be honest, uh, the movie is gonna, been kind of the discussion in the last week but the movie is the movie is going to set box office records it's going to mm -hmm. knock hollywood on its on its butt it, it's 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 a type of story that is just going to blow away people i mean just uh, you're going to watch it and you you're not going to believe that it was real meaning it's like it's so good that you can't believe that kind of great story came to the cinema i don't mm -hmm. think there's any there'll be any movie like this and we're always trying to peg it to something because you do that you know like it's right. similar to comparison. You know, yeah. Yeah. Right. And it's like, I, I don't, there's nothing, there's nothing like it. And it was funny too, because as I was reading through the third draft, doing some final tweaks, now we hired a professional scriptwriter. I just came through the third draft was doing some final tweaks and, and, and tightening things up. Sure. Um, I, it felt like it, it really felt like star Wars in some ways. It just, it just had, it, it just had that elevated build. It's about family and friendship. you got all these great, you know, um, links and, and parallels. And it's just got so much heart and warmth and suspense and intrigue. And it's like, wow. You know what I mean? Really? I just, I was like blown away. I'm like, I'm like, this is going to set box office records. I, 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 th I mean, we're going to be competing against Star Wars. So. Oh, that's super exciting. So the movie, how is it uh, different from, cause the book is a series. So how much of the series does the, the movie entail yeah. Is it, yeah. yeah and we and we have complete creative control over it and and that's yeah. always been that's, that's why you know like you know, 10 years of planning we've got i mean we've got you know tens of thousands of hours into this we've got mm -hmm. millions of dollars you know this isn't like i was selling books out of my my van and all those stories yeah. are false anyway but um um but no it's 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 very it's very succinct you know and that's why i mm -hmm. had to go through it on this third draft because there was some stuff that was missing and some some key stuff so it's as close as it can be, but it okay. is hard because you got a 384 page book and you got a two hour, two hour and 15 minute movie. And so, right. you know, some things have to, but you can thread them in and you can do some things, which I added on the third draft. Just, you know, you don't actually have that scene, but it's, you might have a visual of it. You know, mm -hmm. like there's a great scene when they're at Oxford University and they, and they're, they're being chased by the detective and cops. And so they come on to Christ Church, which is a, one of the universities. And they see this long line of kids, students waiting to go mm -hmm. into this big cafeteria. And that's where they meet Oliver, who becomes a key character in book two and three. And he's just a neat guy, sophomore and stuff. And so we do have that scene. Um, and there's a fun scene where they go into the dining hall. Um, and then after that, into the library, because he has to get a book and stuff. So I didn't have the scene of the library, but I did, I did have them 
I did have the visual of them going in and seeing all the books and stuff. And if you mm -hmm. read the story, you know why that's significant. So, you know, I try to include like even a snapshot of it, even if you don't have the sort of, if you will, scene and stuff, but it's pretty close. It really is. It's very close, but it's hard because it's like, you know, you got to get rid of some stuff. And I, that's funny too, because we like, we all, we all have our favorite movie or our books. Yeah. You know, yeah. and then we go out and we see, and it's like, ah, oh, you know, it wasn't quite like, yeah, <laughs> or it was missing that scene. And it's just like, you know, I got to tell you, it's like, you can only do so much unless you want a three and a half hour movie. You know what I mean? So even then, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. So yeah. It's, it's gonna it, be but it is very, very accurate. It's very succinct. Okay. Um, and it's just, it's got so much great stuff in it. Yeah. Wow. So you, you outlined it, I guess it was eight books or eight series that you're doing. Seven. So yeah, seven. seven. Books, okay. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Um, and so, and they're all in different countries. So is the through line still going to be similar or are they completely different from each other? How, no, how no, no. I mean, it's, it's like the story continues, you know what I mean? Okay. But it's nice. It's like, so in book one, Tom and Sarah are 12 and then it's like, um, six months later, um, you know, cause they were headed, I don't want to give anything away, but they were headed okay. to France, okay. you know? And then, uh, oh, that's a great one. Look at that. Yeah. Um, a better uh, alternative. Yeah, it's interesting too. We had we had uh, some great feedback. We had we had a quote last year um, from the uh, Epoch Times that said um, combination of C.S. Lewis and Dan Brown, which I thought was very cool. I've had feedback. I had a 14 year old um, girl a couple months ago. She just got done reading book three, and she said, "All right." She goes, "Rickfield is my favorite series." She goes, "You're now up there with Lord of the Rings," and I thought, "Wow, right?" And coming from her, that that had so much value, like. Mm -hmm. A thousand fold more than than fifty pay to play critics that couldn't tie their shoelace or spell their name. You know what I mean? Nobody cares what they think. No right. one does. You know yeah. that's my audience, and that's what I'm hitting, and so it's kind of cool. Um, but no, we're really kind of excited about the film. So yeah, so it's it's a through line that the story kind of ends on this, if you will, cliffhanger, and then it picks up, and and usually picks up six months later or a year later with a little bit of a backstory, what happened, and then you always start right on the action. So in book. Right. In book three, it actually starts in Lucerne, Switzerland, and they're now 14, and, and a little over a year has passed. And so I always had to come up with a device, if you will, mm -hmm. to make that work. Whereas with Harry Potter, you know, it's like it, it worked because it was perfect, really, because it's like they come back to school the next year, right? Right, and right. They come back to school the next year. So it's so, so, so perfect, you know what I mean? Now they're 13, now they're 14. Um, so I have to, always have to come up with a clever device, if you will, uh, which I've, I've got down now and stuff. So it's pretty cool. Um, but no, it just kind of kind of picks up, and then and then there's you know, uh, and, and this whole Britfield mystery and and Tom's parents and are they alive and how he's connected and I don't want to give anything away, but so it it absolutely builds it, it, it it's all connected, and the characters oh. are building. And you're getting more backstory. Like book three is great and incredible. It's like my crescendo to the trilogy because you're getting a lot more backstory and a lot more mature now. Thomas are 14 and we as parents, you know, or, or those parents out there, you know, I mean, you know, there's a big difference between a 12 year old, a 13 year old, sure. right. And a 13 year old and a 14 year old. I mean, those are like a decade, right. Versus like 50 to 51. It's like, who cares? Right. So, <laughs> um, so I ha and I have, I have fun with that. You know what I mean? And, and then every country is great to me. Every country is a character. England is book one. France is book two, Italy's book three. And so it's so much fun because it really, it dictates some of the story. Um, oh, there it is, yeah. Even, even oh, adults. Yeah. He's really finding some good stuff. Oh, there it is, yeah. <laughs> that was great. That, that's a, that's a, enjoy the adventure. That's, that's cool. That's awesome. Um, it's fun to see this stuff. I hadn't seen that for a while, but uh, <laughs> anyway. Yeah, uh, and I'm working on book four now. Okay. Uh, start, start, it's in Eastern Europe and Russia. 
and uh, it'll start in Vienna. So it's just, I mean, it's incredible. It's, it's so much fun. And so I'll be every morning when I'm writing, I'm literally like I'm writing, but I'm, I'm on the computer all the time. I'm pulling up maps of Vienna or, or this cathedral and I'm describing it as I'm looking at these pictures, you know, and you can do that visual, you know, you can walk through it. And like, you know, so I'm like doing that or I'm researching this or looking at maps or distances or train times. How long, you know, how long does it take a train to get from Vienna to, to um, Warsaw and Poland? Mm-hmm. You know, what's, what does that cost? You know what I mean? Or is there, is there, you know, um, is there a faster way to get there? You know, um, how long would it take to drive from this location, to this location? Uh, what's mm-hmm. the weather like? How cold is it? You know, what flowers grow in Vienna in April? This is the kind of stuff that I'm researching right. um, and I'm putting into it to, to give it that, that feel of authenticity. I'm not drowning it out with details. Um, and that, and I'm, a, I'm a big advocate of not doing that. I think too many authors drown. I think most authors have a 300 page book and they have about 150 pages of story and then 150 pages of over description, you know? Yeah. We don't, like adjectives. I mean, are you kidding me? It's just like, you know, it's like two paragraphs on how they're dressed and, and, you know, how the fur glistened in the sunlight and the diamond. It's like, what does that have to do with anything? You know what I mean? It's just like cut to the chase, get to the story. And we're all, we're all familiar with reading books where we do that. And it's like, we're like halfway into it. Here comes another big speed bump. It's a big paragraph of unnecessary description. And what do we do? We leapfrog because we don't give a crap. You know what I mean? Right. To the story. And I'm all about story. I'm all about driving the story. If it doesn't need to be there, I don't put it there. Now, with that said, you know, if I'm in Vienna and stuff, I might describe some cool stuff and some nice architecture, things like that. But it's not a history book. You know, it's not a travel book. And so I'm, I streamline that stuff. Um, and the reason that I have 12-year-olds read 384 pages in five hours, and it's not because it's 14 font in one sentence structure. I mean, it's got great vocabulary, great. It's because it's, it's based on the three-act structure. It's based on the fact that I was I was um, trained as a scriptwriter before I became right. a novelist. Right. So I understand the three act structure, economy of words, starting on the action, ending on the action. Right. Three line descriptions, not paragraphs. Then <laughs> what I'll do for my last edit, my last paper edit, is it's already as tight as it can get. I try to get rid of one sentence per page. That's my goal. I want to get rid of one sentence per page. What right. dialogue? What line does not need to be there? What's extra? Can I take two lines? Can I put them into mm-hmm. one? Right. Uh, can I nip that last bit of doc? So, so it just makes it so tight. That's why kids like, I hear stories like, and it's so funny because um, I get feedback like from, uh, when we were doing book, when we launched book three and it's like, I'd get p- feedback from the parents. It's like, yeah, I caught him under the bed with his flashlight, you know, reading at 1 a.m. in the morning or another kid was so cute. He goes, uh, he goes, it was lights out at 10 o'clock. And then I got caught at 12 o'clock because I was reading by, by the aquarium. And it's like, but it wasn't, the lights were out, you know what I mean? <laughs> and so, and just kids just like, like I've had kids that sit down and read Brickfield and Lost Crown in one sitting, you know, and it's because it's of the way it's designed. It's because it's fun. It's exciting. It draws them in. It builds, it builds, it builds, it builds. And we don't waste words. And so it's exciting. You know? So you were, so it's a fictional book, but you said you do a lot of research and there is a historical elements in it, right? So yeah, almost everything, it? everything outside of, if you will, Britfield. Everything. Uh, I'm sorry. Say this yeah. again. Oh, everything, everything, but, everything is, is authentic and real except outside of Britfield, you know, that the, the, the fictional Britfield royalty. And so, cause we talk about, you know, like the Hanover dynasty, we talk about mm-hmm. um, the Stuart dynasty, we talk about the Windsor dynasty and those are threaded through. Um, we yeah. go back. Yeah. And then book two, it's incredible. They meet this uh, really great professor in Paris cause they're trying to find out there's so much into it. I, I you know, yeah. uh, there's Britfield codex 
and one one that was lost and they found it in, in the Louvre Museum and in Paris and stuff and it's some of it's in Latin it's really cool I mean we get we get into so much great stuff and um, and so much great history so all that history all the behind the scenes the committee secret societies a lot of that stuff's in it because um, it fits it fits the narrative it's not the driver but it fits the narrative right. and so all of that is real all of that is authentic except obviously the threat of, of Britfield. But then again, I don't know, maybe, maybe Britfield is correct. <laughs> so I've had, I've had a lot of people ask me, you know, about Britfield. I'm like, is it, is it really, is it real? And so, well, you know, what pretty, was the inspiration for the Britfield? Like, cause if, it, yeah. if it, you don't know if it's real, right? <laughs> so, so what, what, what was the impetus for that family? Yeah. Uh, it's interesting. I mean, it, it not to go into it, but it, it yeah. starts kind of in the 1200s, you know, okay. not the book series, but but some of the history goes back. Sure. Um, and it's and, and a little bit of that's covered in book one. You get little okay. you get little threads, if you will. It's like they meet Professor Hainsworth at Oxford, and this really neat professor that helps them get to London. And so he tells them a little bit, and then they get to Windsor Castle, and you learn a little bit more. And then they meet this great professor, Dr. Beagleswick, at um, University of London. And he knows a lot more about the Britfield. So you get these little snapshots, you know, and it kind of mm -hmm. started in the 1200s at the Britfield. Britfields are really the, the, the true royal heirs to the British throne. And they were usurped by each dynasty. And it got really nasty with the Stuarts. And then um, and then after that, um, the Windsor dynasty, you know, right. which eventually became the Windsor dynasty, which right. was really right. German. Mm -hmm. And um, and Queen Victor once Queen Victoria came it's, it's uh, 18, was it 18, I, gosh, I should remember this, 1817 or something. I forget when she came to power. And um, and that was a key turning point for the Britfields where they, they, there was a few remaining Britfields. And um, someone that was responsible for her gave the order to take them out, you know? And, mm -hmm. and so a lot of these aspects are very true to how that royal power works, you know? Right. And, um, and, and, but it's told in such a great way. And, and so, are there Britfields still remaining? And um, the last, so what happened is the last Britfield's child was kidnapped when he was two years old and um, and never found. And here's Tom, orphan up at Weatherly Orphanage, Yorkshire. And um, he's 12 years old now. And um, and before he breaks out with Sarah, they finally break out of Weatherly, uh, he gets a clue. And uh, the clue is Britfield. And it was uh, it was in his file. And so there you go. I don't want to give anything away. Yeah, but no, it's, no. It's, it's just so exciting. It's so cool how this threads in. And he's not really caught up in it. You know, he's like, if my parents mm -hmm. are alive, I want to find them. You know, I mean, his driver's family. Right. And uh, it's pretty cool. So, Wow. Yeah. Well, I, I'm, I'm definitely looking forward to reading it. Uh, you don't need to give more away. But I'm curious your thoughts on like the culture and you were saying how this, the, this series is very different from, you know, a lot of series are based in mysticism and, you know, magical, you know, kind of spiritual aspects. And this is really more centered around uh, family and story character. And I'm very curious what your thoughts are on the, you know, the culture and the climate of the culture, the zeitgeist, you know, sociocultural zeitgeist of the times. And is, do you think it's uh, ripe for something like this? Do you think that something oh, like yeah. this will have a major impact in on it? Uh, you know, we're, 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 yeah, we're already, yeah, we're already having, and it's funny too, your, your questions are great because these are the discussions. I was having a huge discussion with some people, part of our team yesterday about this okay. and that we remember I talked about how it took us 10 years and everything's about timing and the timing yeah. for this is so perfect because, you know, 
from your research and a lot of your guests, I mean, the dam's breaking, you know, across the nation. I mean, everything we've learned, I've been relearning history mm -hmm. for 12 years. And, um, and those that have, Me too. <laughs> yeah, right. And those that have been in control and those that have been suppressing us and, and, um, you know, condemning us and keeping us dumbed down, you mm -hmm. know, there's that book. I think there was a reference on this, you know, the, the 1980s, the intentional dumbing down of America. Dumbing down of America. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Um, and we're starting to wake up and, um, and frankly, 2020 did that, you know, and you have mm -hmm. millions and millions and millions of people for the first time waking up, questioning things, um, mm -hmm. or not buying the narrative. I mean, mainstream media is all but dead. I don't even know why it exists anymore. It's like it's like standing on a corner trying to sell eight, eight track players. You yeah. know, I mean, it's just like I mean, they're they're useless. They don't do anything. They're, they're, they they actually do not fulfill any requirement. Pure propaganda, pure nonsense. Totally. The very sense of their existence is saying that what they they're saying is relevant for you. They're going to tell you what you should know, what's important, what's not important. And it's all yeah. BS. It's all scripted. Totally. Um, all so, propaganda. Yeah. Yeah. So, so the timing for Britfield is is perfect. I mean, it's beautiful, and it's been a hard five years since we launched in 2019, and it's but everything we've done for five years has been a soft launch. Yeah, Charlotte is a bitten. Yeah. Yeah. And John Taylor Gatto wrote a similar one as well. Yeah. But Charlotte, Charlotte is a bitten. For those who don't know, is phenomenal. There. So this book, there is a, actually an 800 page tome. I have it somewhere over here. Um, but it's very hard to find the full 800 pages. Sorry to interrupt, but I just want to tell the audience well, no. that I do recommend they sell an abridged version, and I think it's maybe like around 300 pages. I highly recommend you get the full 800 pages and, you know, maybe don't read it all at once. It's pretty dense, but uh, she is a font, a wealth of knowledge. She worked uh, under Reagan. Her father was actually Skull and Bones. Um, so Anthony Sutton has taken a lot of her work and her files, and uh, he's done some great work with it. He wrote The Order of Skull and Bones, and he he outlines very clearly how they uh, transported, you know, that model of education to the United States that I was talking about in the opening uh, for the intentions of breeding out creativity, you know, breeding compliance and uh, the mindless obedient soldiers, if you will, really so that they could control the populace and yeah, so if uh, people want to take a look at it, that, that's my little self pitch, and I get nothing out of no, it. But I highly recommend. These things aren't <laughs> talked about enough, right? These great references of books, just so people can know. Um, yeah, and this is great, another sorry. Great this one is John Taylor Gatto, Gatto, who did dumbing us down, which is very similar. The hidden curriculum of compulsory schooling. John Taylor Gatto, oh, nice. uh, geniuses is common dirt. Yeah, sorry. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, oh yeah, uh, uh, the rise of the Fourth Reich by Jim Mars. Mm -hmm. that'll, that'll, that'll blow your mind. That was one of the best books I've ever read. Brings you almost up to, to current current times and stuff. He was the one that wrote uh, the assassination of Kennedy, which um, Oliver Stone had used as his model for JFK. So yeah. very interesting. But anyway, um, <laughs> not to digress. But uh, no, I think the timing the timing for us is really is. is is perfect. I mean, and little yeah. by little. I mean, every day we're growing, which is great. Every day it's we're reaching more thousands. We're already in thousands of schools right now. Amazing. We're being we're being taught in hundreds of schools across the nation. We, we created a 83-page study guide based on, on national standards, uh, chapter by chapter. And so okay. it's like this is designed to be taught in the classroom. And so we're already being taught in schools across the nation. It's great for homeschoolers. Um, and so that's fun. And, and uh, it's funny too, because um, actually book two is already being taught in, in classrooms, but we haven't designed the study guide for it yet, you know? So, but uh, when we launched it, there was teachers that were buying like five, you know,
50 or 60 or 70 books for the classroom. I thought, that's cool. Like everyone's going to be reading Britfield um, and the rise of the lion. I love rise of the lion. Book, th- book two is incredible. That really, that's where I pull back the curtain. That's my empire strikes back. It gets a bit you know, intense. Yeah. Yeah. I, I love book two. Book two is so good. What's interesting too about the, the series is like, you know, usually like in most stories or books or even movies, you've got three or five, maybe five to five to seven scenes um, that are good. And then the mm-hmm. rest is just, is just the rest is bridging it or it's kind right. of like you know what i mean like it's just fluff or story or whatever mm-hmm. and it's like i just i mean every scene is my own story and it just goes i mean it never stops it's just intense 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 and it's like i sometimes when i'm like like taking a nap or something or i'm trying to get to sleep at night i'll, I'll think about book two and i'll say like what, what's my favorite scenes and it's like i love that scene and 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 there's so many great scenes in all the different books and book three it's like my crescendo 575 pages so wow um but yeah so the series will travel around the world mm-hmm. uh, it's all connected and every in every book thomas Sarah will get um one year older which is a lot of fun um not as diverse from 15 to 16 16 to 17 but it was definitely you know huge leap from 12 to 13 and then to 14. um what's fun now with the model because we're kind of at the keystone at book four Britfield, it's actually Britfield in the eastern empire is mm-hmm. now i'll be doing i'll be doing countries and so I'll be doing, I do Austria, Austria, um, uh, Slovakia, uh, Poland, uh, Czech Republic, Germany uh, for Berlin, the Baltic. And then I do uh, Lithuania, I do Estonia, uh, Russia, um, Budapest and Hungary and um, a couple other countries. So it's really cool. I mean, it's all kind of interlinked and stuff, but it's like I'm now I'm covering countries, not a country. And I'm going to keep the series now at right around 450. So book four is is aimed right now at 450 pages, as hopefully the rest of the books will be, um, which is fun. So, yeah. Super fun. And so we're saying how it's very, the culture is very ripe for it now. The timing is right. What What are your thoughts on the impact it might have on the culture moving forward? Since you're doing, you're basically creating like a study, uh, you know, study guides, uh, treating it as like a textbook yeah. material for children. And this, so. this is the best way to say it. And, it's, and it kind of struck me the other day, mm-hmm. um, a couple of weeks ago, like I don't watch normal TV, but every time you'll just turn it on, you know, it's like eating a sandwich. So I was just flipping around and they have Harry Potter, you know, like, running 24 seven on one channel. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, and I was just watching it. I think it was the fourth movie. And it, it just struck me as being kind of silly. You know what I mean? Because it, it was so disconnected from reality. I'm like, Tom and Sarah, like, like, you know, like they live in this real world where all of us mm-hmm. live and they're right. dealing with real problems and they're dealing with real hurt and, and, and they're overcoming difficulties through courage and creativity and all these different things. And so what you're doing is you're, you're, it's a paradigm shift. Right. And and that's why we're raising the bar. We some of our our, our sayings is that Britfield is this generation's book series, uh, restoring faith in literature, um, and it's more than a book; it's a movement. It mm-hmm. is a movement. It's a movement of literacy and creativity, family values, and so really the dif- the difference is, is like we're all we've all been eating McDonald's, you mm-hmm. know what I mean? And it, and it smells really good and it mm-hmm. actually tastes pretty good. But after you eat it, you feel like crap. Let's be honest, mm-hmm. right? And right. And, it, and it and it starts to deplete the body. Of all the things that it needs, yeah. and if you're all, and like, what was that supersize me? Remember that that documentary? Right, yeah, supersize me. The most accurate thing to to where we are as a society, um, and and so that's those those have been those kind of books. They kind of they kind of elevate because they're kind of exciting and stuff, but they're really they're really kind of polluting the mind and the spirit, and you're not learning anything from it. You're not going to learn anything from Harry Potter, right. and so all of a sudden you read a Britfield Lost Crown book, and it feeds the soul. 
let's be honest. I mean, it feeds the mind. It's, it's you're learning from it. You're connecting from it. You're taking all these wonderful things from it. It's, and it's, and so now what it is, is it's, it's the new standard. And when you go back to a Harry Potter book or you read one of those books, they don't stick as much mm-hmm. if it makes sense, because it just seems a little bit silly. You know what I mean? They're throwing in all this different stuff and all this magic. Like Tom and Sarah didn't have a wand, you know, or, or a cape or, you know. So so I think that's one of the things that we're doing. It's going to be the same thing with the films. We don't have to compromise. We don't need to put all this garbage and agenda and filth into it. Mm-hmm. And I'll be honest. I, I, I had waited to see Oppenheimer, the movie, um, uh, to, to stream it. I didn't go yeah. out to the theater. It was a $100 million budget. Yeah. Um, and, it, and it did about 100, 950 million at the box office. And so I just thought, oh my gosh, like number one, it struck me as really odd that, that, that they were launching this movie because it's an old story and it's not right. interesting. Right. Um, and it's been done. And, um, and I'm familiar with all of it. I read The Making of the Atomic Bomb by Richard Rhodes and The Making of the Hydrogen Bomb. And I know all the story. Um, but I finally saw it. And, and it's actually one of the worst movies I have ever seen in my entire life. It was absolutely horrible it, it was in our week of propaganda movies yeah we, we yeah right was it i mean it's like and this is just last week and i'm still kind of horrified from it i was like yeah. i mean i mean i'll say it but uh yeah it absolutely horrible and then like these full frontal nude scenes from his yeah. affair and I'm, I'm like what are we in the 1980s porky movies i mean like it was so right i'm like that poor like, communist you know we, we just have to feel really sorry oh, for him no, and uh yeah, he, and the military-industrial complex. There's nothing wrong ever. So no, no. In, in, a, in a two, two-hour, two-plus-hour movie about yeah. about how he lost his security clearance, right? That was yeah. pretty much the Basically. story. That's Not about the making the atomic bomb, bringing people together, rushing again, all that. The trailer. Talk about complete nonsense. It's like it's like you had the trailer and then you had the movie night and day. Trailer had mm-hmm. absolutely nothing to do. One of the single worst movies I have ever seen, and I knew right off the bat that it was coming out specifically for uh, the nuclear thing because they wanted, right. they wanted to scare fear nuclear war, third world war. Oh, nuclear. Oh my God. Oh, you know, typical Fair propaganda one-on-one, yeah. but I just, I was stunned by, I don't know how it did 950 million. I, I just, I really, I'm starting to question those numbers and I know they lie about everything and statistics right. and stuff, but usually with Hollywood and they kind of keep it, you know, relatively accurate because you'll have big bombs, you know, right, right. major, right. But how, who went to go see it? And I, I don't get it. I don't get how it did almost a billion dollars. I do. I just don't get it. It was, it was so poorly written, so poorly done, so uninteresting, and so horrific. And it will stop there. But I just, I was blown away. We're in the last days of Hollywood, and and Hollywood's been bankrupt for a long time. And I've said yeah. that Disney is on its on its way out. Praise God. Disney, Disney has just gone out. full transparency. I mean, they've always down been... the drain. They're being flushed, and unfortunately, they damaged the, the Star Wars series. And it's and I, I just got this feedback yesterday, but that, the series is pretty much over now. Uh, and Disney's over. You know, they got forty yeah. percent. You know, uh, less attendance at the parks. The stuff they're putting out is pure garbage and crap. Nobody likes this stuff. Nobody. They're no. trying to change us, and I get that. And they and they've, they've thrown billions, if not trillions, of dollars into that. I do get that. But um, but they're failing and they're failing badly. Um, and people don't like this stuff. Don't think we're a divided nation and don't think a lot of people like this. They don't. They don't. It's crap. Crap. That's the one thing. It's like you pull back the curtain. Crap's crap. A lie's a lie. So. <laughs> right. Yeah, you, you can keep putting lipstick on a pig. It's still a pig. Yeah. I, I yeah. think that with Disney, you know, they've always subliminally been uh, very dark and had a, kind of a Luciferian uh, message and agenda, but now they've just gone full transparency. It's in your face. 
And I think people are kind of waking up to it and not yeah. pleased at all. Yeah. I think part of it was an acceleration because because their days are numbered and so they're yeah. pushing hard right now. Yeah. I feel like we're in the last days of Nazi Germany, but it is a mm. scorched earth policy. And they'll right. if they can't own it, they'll burn it, you know. Mm -hmm. um, and they'll kick and fight until the last breath of air. So, right. um, but we can talk, we can transition. If we have a couple minutes, we can talk a little bit about the theater play. Yes. I want to hear about that. And then uh, if we can finish up uh, with uh, the Brookfield Institute, maybe just do oh, yeah. a refund deal down of that as well. Yeah. Sure. So no, but I'm really excited about the play. And I wanted to come back because I know. Yeah, you no, please. I want to hear about it. Yeah. Yeah. And I know you come from a theater background or an acting mm -hmm. background. I do. Very cool. And I was super um, excited about this. I mean, Tolkien, I like, I feel like was super awake <laughs> and I feel like he was trying to tell us quite a bit. So, well, yeah. And so C.S. Lewis was, a, uh, I mean, he was a phenomenal writer. So yeah, I, I'm very curious. Yeah, I'm a huge Lewis fan. Yeah. Lewis is incredible. Yeah. Um, yeah. So there it is. That's kind of cool. That's, that's a scene from, um, so what happens is um, uh, about two years ago, uh, we were at one of these schools. It was actually Mission Viejo Christian School. Uh, in Mission Viejo, Southern California. And uh, it was a neat school, a little private school. Yeah. And they have kind of a black box theater. And that's actually where I was doing my presentation. And yeah. about 200 students, maybe 250. And I was leaving and the um, the theater director, Michelle Shoemaker, said to me, she goes, you know, she goes, oh, you know, I love the book. All the kids are reading it. And she goes, do you ever think of making it into a play? And I'm like, no. You know, I'm, like, <laughs> I'm like, a movie? Yes. It always, yes, yes. yes. I see all, all the movies. You know? <laughs> And, and television and, and 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 products and the board game and I'm like not a play but it stuck you know it really stuck and um, and I, I myself come back I come from theater actually I was uh, Laguna Playhouse was my first official on mm -hmm. on stage experience yeah there it is so that's the whole group 30 okay. students. look at that how cool is that um, and so uh, we green we greenlit it and uh, we spent 18 months taking a 384 page book into an 87 page two-act, 90-minute theatrical play designed nice. specifically for elementary, middle schools, and even high schools. Um, and you got to be very careful, right, with that group and stuff. And I was doing it for a lot of reasons, pretty much everything that we're doing. We're trying to bring creativity back into the school. Mm -hmm. And now we're trying to bring creativity back into the theater programs. Number two, um, it's kind of most theater programs in the United States, it's the same regurgitation of, of, of 25 or 50 plays and mostly musicals. Number three, yeah. 80 to 90 percent of all the all the all the types of plays they do are musicals, and so yes. what happens is you're you're alienating 90 percent of kids that really want to get into theater. If I'm 12 years old. The last thing I'm going to do is try out for Greece. You know what I mean? It's just like, and and who cares about Greece? You know what I mean? Like great movie, but you know what I mean? Like like yeah. it was a long time ago. You know what I mean? And so to bring in this sort of authentic, real location theatrical play, Britfield Lost Crown, about family, friendship, loyalty, and courage. You got, mm -hmm. We got speaking roles for 30 actors. Okay. Um, all 30 actors are involved throughout the entire play. Um, and it's, and we do something, too, that's really cool, where it's like you have your main stage. And then um, and then when that scene's done, the lights go down, uh, the lights go up on the right or the left, mm -hmm. um, and, and it continues. So it's a small scene over here. And meanwhile, mm -hmm. they're, they're getting everything ready, and then the lights come back up, and then it comes back down. So there's never there's not supposed to ever be a stop in the play. Mm -hmm. Uh, we use the whole theater. And so okay. sometimes the scenes are right there in the front aisles. There's one really cool scene where Tom and Sarah are walking up the aisle as they're headed towards mm -hmm. London, talking. And it's like, you're, you know, you look at the stage and you're like, oh my gosh, like right there, you know? Mm -hmm. um, or we'll do a scene like when they're in London and you'll see like, you know, a couple of women talk, talking because they're you know, with the, 
purses and, and, and another guy with a with an umbrella, you know, as he's trying to mm -hmm. catch a cab or something. And it's like, and suddenly you're in London or suddenly you're at Oxford, students running a class. I mean, it's just, it's complete immersion. Like you feel like you're in England. Uh, mm -hmm. We have um, 28 sound effects. We have 54 digital slides. So you can project images on a back screen if you want to. Wow. Um, like when they're flying in the balloon and you see these yeah. pictures of England or Oxford or London or you name it, yeah. Hyde Park. And, um, and so it's great. So we, we piloted it for four nights last October to great success, you know, sold out oh, seats yeah. practically. And, um, and since then we refined it a little bit. We actually had 92 pages, got it down to 87. Okay. Uh, streamlined it, but now it's a complete package for school. Nice. And so it's like, you can go to the Britfield website, buy it, download it. Um, and you know, the licensing rights and you have the director's script, you have the actor's script, director's notes. We walk you, we walk, walk you through scene by scene, everything that needs to be set up, items needed, everything, lighting, sound effects, cues. Um, and cost breakdown. Yeah. Wow, that's awesome. There it is. Yeah, download actors. I had, yeah. I had a theater company in New York City uh, when I first graduated from college. So, yeah, so I've really produced, you know, I was an actress, of course, that's why I did it. But I, I really ended up mostly producing. So, yeah, that would have been great to have. <laughs> Yeah, what's really cool is, I mean, you could do this at your church, you know, you, yeah. could do this in, you could do it in a classroom or library, ideally, of course, a theater. Um, and it's funny, too, because yeah. the black box theater that we were in, I mean, it's really small. You can see, you sure. can see that. Yeah. But I, but I told Michelle, I said, if we can pull it off here, then we can pull it off anywhere. So right. it was actually perfect, really, because if we had some big auditorium, it's like, well, no, no kidding. Like, that's great. Right. Um, so we're excited. So, yeah, so we, we launched it globally this year in February. Wow, that's awesome! Yeah. So, did I read that there was a, you were also going to do a play about uh, the friendship between C.S. Lewis and Tolkien? I read that. Oh, yeah, that was something that unrelated to this. I was okay. Uh, I think it was an unlikely friendship, but I'd love to do. Yeah, I'd love to do a two-act play on that. Um, that's something I've been working on, but that's in the. It has nothing to do with this, but right, uh, right. yeah. Okay. Because uh, because I've read all about him, and it's like I just it's fascinating. I wanted to do something too that was very cool though where um, if you've ever seen that really great picture, because this best this summarizes it best, it's of Charles Dickens. And he's yeah. sitting at his um, desk. And then as, mm -hmm. he's, as, he's, as he's thinking, and you, and you have all the characters, you know, um, mm -hmm. from, from his different books. And the idea was, is like through this um, phenomenal, you know, because like he was, he was educated out of Christianity, Lewis, and then was an atheist, as you know, yep. and then, and then, um, and then came back as a Christian and one yep. of the greatest Apologetic apologist, uh, you know, at the time, and and Tolkien was a huge um, inspiration to that. And what's yeah. interesting about Lord of the Rings, and you probably know about this, like the Inklings were the group they were meeting at at Oxford, and um, uh, and Tolkien was working on on uh, Lord of the Rings, and uh, none none of the Inklings liked it. They thought it was a stupid story. Okay. Here we go again, and and it was rejected by everybody and everything. And he was ready to um, shelve it. And Lewis was the one that said, you have to finish this book and yeah. we'll get it published. And it was because of that inspiration, if you will, that he, he finished it. It's now one of the top bestsellers of all time, you yeah. know, but it's yeah. just so, it's so typical, you know what I mean? It's so typical, but, um, but, but no, I'm fascinated with their story and then yeah. Lewis and, and what he went through. And then, and then in the, in the play would be the creation of Narnia, but mm -hmm. it would maybe almost a background as he's sort of thinking, maybe he's writing at his desk or something and you see these kids, you know, playing around and then you see this wardrobe and you see him go into this wardrobe, you know what I mean? And so you'd have a very cool, wouldn't be kind of a stale play, you know what I mean? It'd be very kind of interactive and, 
And so why you're, the main theme is sort of Lewis's uh, movement from atheist to Christian, you yeah. know, and, 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 you know, and then from, from amateur and reader to literary giant, you know, right. and his connection with Lewis, uh, I mean, with Tolkien, Tolkien. Um, you know, and even the England, I mean, just all that. So it's, it's, it'd be fun. Yeah. Something I, I've been fascinated to do because, because well, you, you appreciate theater, but so I appreciate great theater and, um, and not long theater, not boring theater. I just right. thought, I was just at the Lambs Theater in uh, last, a couple weeks ago. They did um, Jane, based on um, Jane Eyre, by um, uh, you know, um, Bronte, Bronte, Charlotte Bronte. Yeah. One of my yeah. all-time favorite books as a kid. I, I read it like six times. I actually wrote actually um, like a whole imaginary uh, series of dialogue, uh, like after the book of her writing to him, like That's long after. Funny. Yeah. Um, but anyway, yeah, it was one. Yeah, of my I mean, they're, they're 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 some of my favorites. Withering Heights. I mean, are you kidding me? I've been there. I've actually visited their house up in Hayworth, this mm -hmm. little medieval town on the moors. I've been out to the official Withering Heights stone structure. It's still there, two miles from town, mm -hmm. out in the moors. I mean, it's amazing. Uh, so of course I was going to go see the play, mm -hmm. um, and it was interesting and it was well done, but it was too long. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And um and and they tried to include everything, and you can't do that, especially no. with the play. And, um, and so I'm so glad I went because I needed to see it and stuff. But I'm kind of bringing that back up to say that, you know, there's certain ways that you got to write a play. And it's got to it, it's like a documentary. And it's like some so for some reason, people think a documentary doesn't follow the rules of great storytelling or movies. And I'm That's like, if you make if you make a documentary like a movie, you've got a great documentary. Right. Yeah, of course. And, and I'm saying that because it's like you get these 90 minute documentaries and they're kind of boring and they're a bit disconnected and it's the camera rolling as people are talking back and forth. And there's, you know what I mean? It's just like, it's, it's not there a story. It still has to be a story. Even if it's yeah. based on fact, it's got to use, there's got to be a through line. Like what are you, you're telling a story? That's exactly. the whole point. Yeah, exactly. And mm -hmm. it's like, it's like the three act structure always applies. And, um, yeah. and, and I think it was, it was like years ago uh, when I was doing like my Netflix binge or something. And I, and I watched like a hundred documentaries, right. And this right. Was a time when I was kind of relearning and stuff. And I'd say out of a hundred documentaries, there were five that were well done. Five that were wow. well done. One of them was called Blue Blue Gold about water and everything that was happening. But I'm, I'm saying that because it's the same thing with theater. You know what I mean? And it's just like, you know, it's got to be fast paced. Enter late, leave early. Enter late, leave early. Keep the story moving. If it doesn't need to be there, get rid of it. And so you had this kind of long play that, quite frankly, I, I took my mom and she fell asleep. <laughs> <laughs> In the first act, because it was just like it was so slow, you know what I mean? And it, yeah, and the acting was good. Don't get me wrong, and stuff. Right. And the writer has this amazing background of television and film and stuff. But I'm like, I'm like, you can't get the whole book into the theater, and you don't want to. No, you know, you want to, you want to, you want to get the, the key stuff, the key scenes, exactly. you know, the meat of it. That's what I did. So how do I take a 384 page novel and I get mm -hmm. it into a 90 minute two act? play hey, yeah um because I, I i got it down to the essentials you know the key scenes the key dialogue you can sit there for 90 minutes get the whole story be totally entertained and what do they say leave the audience wanting more exactly you know? for sure well, i know you're running out of time but i would love if you could do a real brief overview of the institute because i think that that is so fascinating and so important yeah yeah, the Brickfield Institute is just really a pa passion of ours, and we're really excited. We're, we're pretty much the ones that are funding it. Yeah, you could go to the website. It's really cool. <laughs> you can actually you can click through those pictures because all those pictures are really cool. The, the, the one at the end is my favorite. Oh, there it is. Oh, I love Ooh. that. Isn't that great? Isn't that... 
so yeah i mean we're just we're just passionate about bringing the arts back to schools creativity is our driver um, mm -hmm. what's great is is under resources we have i mean you know it, the institute exists to help schools even homeschool groups specifically title one schools is on is on our heart there's over twenty three thousand title one schools oh, in the nation and so that's that's kind of our main focus and really it's to bring resources to them uh, creativity classes writing classes mm -hmm. um we have a we have a a program that we're doing which I, I don't have time to get into but um, sure. it's kind of like it's like a mini shark tank that we we, we want to pilot and start doing with schools um awesome. and take, yeah and take these ideas of these kids because the kids are geniuses they all are usually what you put into a kid is exactly what you get out and, and if you treat them like a 12 year old and don't get me wrong but i'm saying it's like it's like that's why you're saying like, like kids esteem upward you know what i mean if you give them responsibility to, to come up with an idea for a business or a company or a book um versus oh you're just 12 years old you know and you treat them that way and again it's this whole educational model coming back full circle we don't graduate from high school until we're 18 years old Do you realize 100 years ago they were practicing doctors at 18 or lawyers oh, yeah. i mean do you know what i mean like like it's, yeah. it's, such, it's such a joke and then and then we go to college for four years and at 22 with a half a million dollar debt we're ready to start our life are you out of your mind you know and I'm, i was like you I, I had my first major company when i was 19 years old you know although i ended up you know still going to you know undergraduate graduate and postgraduate yep. and even getting a doctorate but i do education because i enjoy it and, and, yeah. I, and i do it to challenge me and to, and to keep keep learning and, and to be nimble uh but not full time but i mean this the whole model is such a joke 22 years old and the kids are coming out today, as you well know, and you probably have covered on your show, knowing nothing. Nothing. And and, and really a degree that's worthless. Yep. You know? yep. And eighty, ninety thousand dollars a year for a crazy degree in philosophy, you know, 19th century philosophy. Good luck with that. You know, I mean, just it's a joke. I was know? a philosophy major and I've learned way more right. about philosophy. <laughs> no, no, I learned way more in philosophy in my undergrad and autodidactic on my own afterwards. Yeah. I wrote I, I wrote papers in ninth grade and tenth grade on philosophy in high school that my school published. I learned way more doing that research than I did majoring it in, in college. So and that research was on my own. My school just happened to publish it because they found That's it. That's cool. Yeah. So no, I agree. Full, yeah, fully. Yeah. So a lot of a lot of what we're doing with the institute, and and, and that will be growing, if you will, and and, and expanding, and um, uh, is is really to, is, is it's another it's another way of changing the, the current model and stuff, and um, and planting those seeds, and um, you know we have we have we have ideas to partner with schools where we'll fund it, and we'll bring in we'll bring in an arts department, we'll bring in a film department. And you're gonna have you're gonna have 12 and 13 and 14 year olds writing movie scripts and working on films. Easy. And and really our folk and and without agenda and crap, you know. Yeah. And so and so really in so many ways, uh, we're gonna be re our ideas is training the next generation of children. Our our beachhead for the Ritfield series has always been education. It's always been the elementary, middle schools. Period. You know, high school you can handle that. I was talking to a friend the other day, and I think she's a high school teacher. I'm like, God bless you. You know, it's just like, man, you couldn't get me anywhere near it. So, uh, anyway. fair enough. Well, thank you so much. This has been so fun. I I'm gonna get the series. Not that I have uh, so much spare time on my hands, but uh, bet, it yeah. sounds riveting. So <laughs> I'm. Uh, oh, it's fun. I told you, 55 yeah. percent of our audience are adults. I mean, adults love it. You know, and it's like, and I wrote it. Really, what it is is. You have you have a you have a James Bond fan, a Star Wars fan that wrote these high octane, fast paced novels 
really yeah. like what Lewis did. Lewis was wrote Narnia for adults, and it happened yeah. to become yeah. a you know best selling series for kids. And sure. I feel like in so many ways, I'm really writing great books for you that mm -hmm. kids are, that kids enjoy, right? Yeah. I'm writing adult books for kids, you know, because it's just I'm having fun, and it's just it's fast paced, and it's got all kinds of excitement and I'm introducing all these things and it's just like, I mean, it'll blow your mind. It'll blow your mind. So I love it. I, well, I, want, I, I want, I want, I want adults to return to the wonderment of being. Yes. Right? Seriously. Yes. I, I fully support that. And as a kid, I really enjoyed adult books. So yeah, I think kids should be able to read, you know, because it, it's the same idea. Sorry. Yeah. There's a, there's a great quote by, um, uh, it says uh, all kid all children are born artists, but to remain an artist as we grow up, is what's hard and that's from picasso but i love that all kids are born artists and it's so yeah. true but most they're of all us geniuses grow up, and they're we, all artists we grow, we grow out of it but i was gonna read this one quote it's just kind of funny <laughs> i like it it's by hugh mcleod and he says um everyone is born creative everyone is given a box of crowns in kindergarten but when you become a teenager they take the crowns away and replace it with dry uninspiring books and algebra and history suddenly being hit later with that creative bug there's a wee voice telling you inside that says, I want my crowns back. <laughs> yeah. I want my crowns back. You know, whatever the crowns, right? The fun, the creative. You know? I love it. Yes. Yeah, so true. Well, thank you so much. Tell everybody where, where the best place to find you, where to get the books, all, all sure. that good stuff. Yeah. I mean, Amazon is the easiest, um, mm -hmm. but, but if you go to the Britfield.com website, we're still, while I have time, we're still doing signed copies. So if you buy, the books on the website uh, under store yeah you can go to store um you'll get actually get a signed copy from me i enjoy doing it i've got boxes behind me of <laughs> shipping out all over the world um but we're still doing it and it's kind of fun so you can get the trilogy which is great it's a great gift it's perfect for christmas it's a it's a great gift yeah. um it's interesting we have some one woman in canada that bought four trilogy specials that we shipped out a couple weeks ago which is great and she's going to give them to, to all her grandkids and stuff so yeah Awesome. All right. Well, thank you so much. Yeah. This is yeah, you're welcome. This is awesome. So and the Britfield.org uh, is for the institute. Uh, and the uh, yeah, Britfieldinstitute.org. Britfieldinstitute.org. If you go to there and you go to the resources, we have mm -hmm. um, we have creativity exercises. We've got really wonderful creativity quotes. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, you can go to that resources real quick and then uh, go down and then go to the quotes. There they are, the top one. And this is kind of fun for if you're a teacher or something and you mm -hmm. just go through this. And, you know, you have all these great creative quotes with these neat pictures. You can print it out, put it up in the classroom, do one a week. Kids will stop by, read it, be inspired for free. You know what I mean? We've got, um, mm -hmm. I think, 33 creative exercises. We've got creative games. Uh, we've got a white paper on there. And we actually have the, um, this is kind of a little hint, but we have the study guide for free uh, that you can download for the Britfield book. And it's normally $30 value. So, okay. Well, thank you. Uh, okay. All right. All right. Well, thank you so much for having me on. Appreciate it. Yeah. Likewise. This was, this was awesome. I really enjoyed it. So, thank you so much. And thank you all for watching.
This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.